Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. It is the Monday after CPAC, and I, and I have to say that I did not miss not being down in in Orlando. Uh, we can talk about that for a we can talk about that for a moment. But uh, I I know that I know that our own Tim Miller was monitoring it twenty four seven. So I appreciate taking one for the team, uh, Tim. Uh, good morning. Happy Monday. Good morning, Charlie. It was in candor, more like fourteen two. But um, I did, I you know, I did the most that, that one could do uh, to to get the you know to get the gist of it. You know, if you if you were monitoring the actual CPAC, you know, you'd dip out for a while and head down to the bar uh, in order to tolerate it. Obviously, I couldn't do that via YouTube, so you know, I had to just uh, you know to put down the uh, put down the laptop and head downstairs and get a glass of rosé. It was my it was my version of that. So I did I didn't catch every single speaker, but I I'm pretty sure I got the gist of it. I need to work up to it. I need to work up to uh, to Trump's speech and and the whole and the whole thing. Um, but but I did I did learn a new word this morning that I thought I would share with with the audience. Okay. Actually, I, it's an old word. I think probably once I knew what it was, but but I'd forgotten until I saw it in a Bill Crystal email. He he used the word. He's he's writing about. He's got a by the way. He's got a fantastic piece in the Bulwark today, where he talks about uh, the facts of life, and it's it's kind of a follow up. To his piece saying, hey, if we're going to save democracy, maybe we should work with the pro-democracy people, even if they're Democrats. If, in fact, we're facing uh, authoritarian fascism, maybe we ought to ally with whoever is also going to oppose authoritarian fascism. And he got a lot of blowback uh, on that from people who said that (laughs) we conservatives cannot do that. We cannot take sides. We need to be we need to just speak truth, um, whatever that is, and not do what Bill Kristol is doing and actually align with people who are defending democratic values and things like that. So he wrote this really good response and, and was basically saying that, you know, he's not going to war. He, he, he wants to have a discussion. He wants to have something. And he said that he thought his piece was, was ironic. I R E N I C. Okay. So Tim Miller, you're a wordsmith. Did, did you, I mean, did you go, I have to look that up because I did. I, I thought he, um, I thought he did a typo of ironic. No, 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 no. <laughs> People will think that. No, it's it's <laughs> ironic. And it means aiming or aimed at peace. You know, it's it it's it's actually like, for example, you know, a, a part of Christian theology concerned with reconciling different denominations and sect. So this was peaceful, like we, we let's not fight. Let's we're not going to war with one another. Come let us reason together. Bill Crystal was being ironic. We don't have a lot of ironic moments over at the bulwark. Yeah, I was going to say I was, I you know, as I mentioned last week, I was looking for an opportunity to um, uh, to put calumny into a yeah. uh, into an article, and I succeeded because there's a lot of calumny out there. But I, oh, yeah. so I, I don't. It might be challenging to sneak ironic into an article, but I, I'm going to do my best over the next few weeks. So keep an eye out. All right. So also um, being late to the game is because, of course, now we're going to get like a million emails, people saying, Charlie, how could you not have understood what the name were? You know, I mean, we thought you were an educated guy. Well, here's something else where I am way late to the party on. OK, uh, have you been reading a lot of the Woody Allen, Mia Farrow stuff? You know, I, I did back in the day and I, I just I, yeah. I've I feel like I've gotten my fill. Yeah. Well, there's 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 more. I mean, let's say that. I'm sorry, all families have their problems, this family. Oh, um, and of course, there's they've broken into factions where there's the pro-Mia faction and there's the pro-Woody faction. Right, right. And 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 Moses is is one of the kids and he's very pro-Woody and he's issued a statement. 
And so I, and I'd, I'd actually, you know, read, read about Moses for some, you know, time and understood where he was coming from and that he was very critical. And it was only when I was talking about this with my wife this morning and she said his name that I got it. You know what his name is? His name, his full name? No. Moses Pharaoh. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Moses Pharaoh. Oh, it had never occurred to me. I've read that. I, I don't know if I've ever spoke. You have to say it out loud. We go, oh, man, I get it. Okay. So they're all sitting around going, what do we, what do we name the young Pharaoh baby? Let's name him Moses Pharaoh. Okay. This has nothing to do with anything we're going to talk about. Or today. with it's young just... Pharaoh at CPAC. Yeah. I, yes, I do yeah. have to say, I, I, so I read um, uh, uh, Luke, Luke Russert's mother, late Tim Russert's wife, wrote about this in Vanity Fair many years ago. And um, and, and uh, Mia has been a long time, uh, you know, Twitter DMer of uh, of us mm-hmm. of us Never Trumpers. And so I've always sided on Team Mia. And Woody seems pretty creepy. Uh, so I, that was kind of the extent of my of where I landed on the teams. But uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I've not dug into like episode four of the of the you know four part documentary series on this. It's, it's four parts. See, I, I only wanted to just do the pun name thing. I didn't want to get into <laughs> Got this. It. I didn't want to get into the substance of this in any way whatsoever. Well, that's um, dangerous territory. So guys. here, here, here's a, maybe an explanation, kind of a, for my mood today. Um, our our producer, uh, Jim Swift, our colleague, had pulled all kinds of audio from Trump's speech yesterday at CPAC and everything. And I, I look, I went through them all and I realized, you know what? I just don't want to listen to that guy's voice anymore. One of the best things about watching that speech was, wow, it is so great that I don't have to put up with this on a daily basis anymore. So this is my my gift to you, Tim. And to the audience of the Bulwark podcast, you're not going to have to listen to his voice anymore. So, Do you have a little pro tip on this, Charlie. It yeah. doesn't completely protect you from from this, but if you feel like you have to watch, so I was uh, it was my husband's birthday yesterday, so we were at the beach uh, during the speech, so I was not watching it live. Um, I felt like, you know, um, to you know, to, to do my service for the listeners here and knowing I was going to be on the podcast today, I should at least watch it. And so last night, um, before bed, I put the whole thing on at, at 2.25 speed on YouTube. <laughs> and so he like, sounds like a chipmunk. Uh, and that does take that away a little bit of like your physical response to hearing his voice. Um, so if you feel like you have to listen to him for work purposes, if it's, that, if it's desperate, yeah, desperate if it's time. Desperate, yeah. That's, that's a little pro tip. Uh, you had you had a fantastic piece, uh, a, a newsletter yesterday uh, about this, uh, arguing that uh, maybe, maybe CPAC was the Republican base all along. Um, I've always thought of it as, and I guess we need to, we need now to retire the whole Star Wars bar scene thing. And everything. See, I, I yeah. I mean, it's I mean, it's it's crazy stuff. I, I love, by the way, the the anatomy of who used to show up. That was that was fantastic. Thank you. And anyone and this inside stuff. But if you've ever been to CPAC, you know, you got the, you know, aging. And, and it was the dazzling detail of the, you know, aging Reagan era aide um, with dandruff flecked suit, <laughs> boring everybody with his stories. And that's the. You know, and the guys on the make and and all of this stuff. But okay, so 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 give I me did, your uh, for one of the listeners. I did I did get a good Twitter response, which was 
from a guy who's like, I'm, I'm, I'm reading all of these people going, thank goodness that's not me, thank goodness that's not me, thank goodness that's not me, and then he gets to the penultimate bullet, and it's upper middle class Republican activist who is an active blog commenter and has just enough money to blow on a vacation to D.C. in the hopes of meeting Ed Morrissey. And he's like, woof, I felt seen by the by, by the second to last one. <laughs> Ouch. And all right. So and, give and me- that's all of us. So, but I do want during this, as part of this effort for the article, uh, Charlie, I, I wanted to make sure my memory didn't deceive me. Because before we get into this week's CPAC, like, you know, part of this was trying to reflect back on CPACs of yesteryear. And so I, I went to four CPACs, and so I, I, I quizzed some of my friends um, who I who accompanied me, uh, and who I tried to maintain ironic detachment with um, in the corner. Uh, and you know they they helped with some of our archetypes. Um, I also watched some of the old speeches. Uh, it also occurred to me that CPAC 2013 was the time that I met Charlie Sykes. Now you wouldn't have remembered me because I was just a measly little hack trying to help Reince Priebus. Um, but but this this memory uh, struck because um, I went back to rewatch Reince's speech, which was on the eve of when we were going to release the autopsy, and I was managing the PR around the autopsy. I don't know why I ever got hired again after that. Um, but uh, I, I, I I like chased you down by, backstage in the hopes that you know you would be because of uh, because of your fondness for rights and you know general normalness um you know might be a rare voice of of praise for the for the autopsy so so we, we briefly like the, met I, back then okay so um I, I i did like the autopsy and it did give rare uh words of praise but that wasn't me because i wasn't at cpac 2013 no come on no, it's not you. me no no so with some some other nerdy looking guy with glasses and black hair not mm, was it 2015 then 26 2016 is the only year that i was there i only went there when my, my wife used to go on a regular basis she used to work for the bradley foundation and they sponsored the reagan dinner so she was she was a she was a veteran of the star wars bar scene i guess we never um, had met them maybe it was like craig gilbert or something it was somebody just, it was it was it was somebody another like wisconsin political he's hand. he's way better looking than me so charlie you, you would have you would have you would have We've gotten this. Okay, so I had my take on this, which was which was very serious and everything. But okay. you know, I, I guess okay. Speaking of like flashbacks, remember when they used to have the to give you a sense of what what CPAC was like? They used to have the um, the straw poll, and every year it was won by huh? Ron, Ron Paul. Paul, Ron yeah. Paul, because the Ron Paul people showed up in huge numbers. So that implies that you had all of these young libertarian zealots there. Whatever the hell happened to those people? Are they gone or did they simply move from Ron Paul to Donald Trump? Uh, for the most part, they simply moved from Ron Paul to Donald Trump. Um, and and I think that you know, it's pretty interesting. Um, one of these days, if, we, if you could stomach it, we should have like a, you know, one of Rand's consultants on here uh, who, who I think could talk about that um, because it is mm. kind of a, it is kind of a surprising um uh, you know, just sort of political anthropology, but but I, I just, I mean, I think that there was a very small percentage, and this is kind of reflective of basically the whole the whole reflection I wrote in the article. There's a small percentage of serious libertarians, um, but behind that, uh, there was basically just this anti-establishment, you know, own the elites 
a little bit about own the libs, but in I think their case, it was you know it was mostly this um, negative reaction for some in some in some reasons worth you know worthy uh, to to uh, to the you know the industrial you know uh, military complex and to kind of the you know this sort of coastal you know. Um, you know, elite, moderate, neocon, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, dominance of the Republican Party. Uh, so, and then there was also this, you know, this strain of racism that underlined the Ron Paul movement. And you remember his writings for the Van Mises Institute and, um, you know, he, he had gotten called out about that, but said, oh, well, you know, they, this was a ghostwriter. Maybe it was a ghostwriter, but I think that, 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 you know, signaled that there was a lot of this anti-immigrant, um, you know, mm. anti-civil uh, rights act. Reverend Rand Paul uh, got in trouble in his first campaign um, for, for being against the, saying he was against the civil rights act on libertarian principle. So I, I do think this kind of anti-war and, and racial elements to the Paul movement did move rather seamlessly into Trumpism. And, and it maybe wasn't this kind of pure live and let live libertarianism that maybe, um, you know, the outsiders to it might have might have projected. Well, on. you know, that, that's an interesting point, because people say, you know, that once you're into conspiracy theories, you're open to every other conspiracy theory and you just move from one to another. And maybe that's the same with, you know, crackpotism as well. That Once you've sort of gone down that particular rabbit hole, you, you go into all the different warrants. So, OK, so I guess I'm kind of bored with with some of the takes on all of this that, OK, so it's Donald Trump's party, Donald Trump. OK, the, the, the Trumpification of the Republican Party. We got it. We got it. But I, I will say that what was really interesting to me was watching this gathering of conservatives less than two months after the insurrection of the Capitol, year after a half million Americans died from the pandemic, and you would never know that it happened. I mean, not only are they unrepentant, but there's no reflection. There's there's no there's no sense of, hey, we need to have an autopsy. We need to like think through our values. You know, maybe we really ought to ask ourselves some hard questions about the future, about violence and sedition and, you know, whether, you know, how we distance ourselves from white supremacy or the dangers of cults of personality. There was none of that. Hey, we need to take a second look at all of this. I mean, it was there was no thoughtfulness whatsoever. And. Again, this all happened so recently, and the ability of the conservatives just to simply flip the switch is still remarkable, even though we've seen it before, and also just the extent to which they have completely gone into the denial and delusion about the election, the big, the big lie. We kind of knew that the big lie was going to be one of the litmus tests, but the, the extent to which the entire right and the Republican Party has now decided that we're going to believe the election was stolen and uh, all of the implications of that. You, I mean, you really had it on display this weekend. In, in, case, in case there was any doubt whatsoever that there was going to be a quote-unquote Republican civil war, a fight for the soul of, of the Republican Party, I mean, you know, there's going to be some, some straggling skirmishes, but, but that's done, isn't it? I mean, it is done. Yeah, I mean a lot there, Charlie. I the the most the striking the most striking moment of that was for me watching Tom Cotton's speech because Tom Cotton honestly gave a speech that could have been that like must have been written on January fifth or could have been yeah, right. <laughs> but he gives this very extensive, you know, section about Black Lives Matter protests over last summer 
and Antifa, and, and, and he's using this rhetoric about how, you know, we can't submit to the mob, and how we need to black the blue, and how... It never happened, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's just like, this whole time he's talking about this, I keep saying, he, he's going to at least make an aside, you know, which is like, this wasn't, you know, what happened on January 6th was not what our movement was about, or something like that, right? Like, one sentence right. at least... And and nothing, nothing. So he just gives this entire speech about about uh, standing up to the mob and and defending the police, and does not mention the Trump flag wearing mob riot co- that killed a cop like five weeks ago, right? Uh, I mean, just astounding. And then you know, on COVID, um, uh, the the two kind of hot names out of uh, the CPAC, but that, that aren't in the Trump family were Christy Nome and Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Um, you know, Ron DeSantis gets credit. Uh, you know, we could spend all day on Ron DeSantis um, and, and the kind of debate over why like the liberals think he was the worst response to COVID and Republicans think he was the best when really he's kind of like in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, uh, you know, his whole shtick is that like, you know, he did everything perfect with the coronavirus by leaving everything open. And, and uh, you know, he just talks over the deaths. Christy Nome, you know, is bragging about how hers was the only state in the country that didn't shut down anything and, and just doesn't even mention or just kind of rolls right over the fact that South Dakota since July has the highest death rate from COVID-19 in the world, like of any of any state in America and of any country in the world since July. Um, but she's the female hotter Trump. Yeah, and and so, but but people they don't care, right? It's, just, it's cheers, cheers, cheers. I I do wonder. I wonder if we have South Dakota listeners. I would like to hear from you. It's like this this the disconnect. I mean, you know, one in one in like six people in South Dakota have died from COVID nineteen in the past year. I, I mean, how does that sound? I, I have to imagine that people, those people, know someone you know in their community who's died from it. Anyway, you know, but but she just is on Earth B, and everybody in this room, by the way, um, you know, again, tight and closed, <laughs> you know, conference ballroom. You know, we're still in the middle. The pandemic isn't over yet. Uh, hope might be in the horizon, but it's not over. Uh, you know, cheering, shouting for her um, in in this Earth B. So, um, yeah, and we can talk about more about you know how uh, how some of them responded to the insurrection and all that. But but the the unreality of just kind of pretending like those deaths didn't happen, pretending that that coup attempt didn't happen was consistent throughout. It was uh, throughout the speakers. No. And I think there was, there was one guy that pushed back against the, the big yeah, lie Charlie about the, Yeah. Charlie Spies who, who pushed back into some woman said, what are you gonna do about these voting machines that switch the votes? And he says that did not happen. And of course he got heckled and booed and all of that stuff. And he was clearly the, the outlier. Um, the, the other speakers though. And I, I, I did, I had a couple of you know reactions watching some of the videos of this problem, the Republican Party, the after Trump Republican Party, because if this was an audition for some of them, I mean, you really got a sense of how sort of how tinny and weak and diminished they were. I mean, there's Josh Hawley, who's not only playing the I am populist bullshit card, but, but I am the victim and they want to cancel me and they tried to censor me and they want to do all this. But I am still standing here. It's like, give me a break. I mean, he feels like like his kid dressed up in his, you know, much larger dad's clothing or something like that. He's just, you know, trying to, you know, pretend that, you know, here's the guy from I don't what is he? Is he Princeton Stanford? All these guys from Prince, Princeton and Harvard talking about, uh, you know, the working men. But then there was Ted Cruz. Did you catch Ted Cruz's speech? 
I am William Wallace. Sadly, I, I am, got that one live. I am a much fatter, hairier William Wallace. Makes the joke about going to Cancun. I just, or, or this this one. The Republican Party is not the party of the country clubs. It's the party of hardworking, blue-collar men and women. Okay, high lob for Tim Miller. The Republican Party is not the party of the country clubs. High lob. Go come. Go for it. Uh, yeah, you like the Ritz Carlton, you mean, or like Mar-a-Lago, or which country club, yeah, Trump Doral, yeah. which country club are we talking about? Donald today? Trump literally lives in a country <laughs> club. <laughs> he freaking literally lives in a country club. Ted Cruz literally was staying at the fucking Ritz Carlton in Cancun. Yeah. But we are not yeah, the party of like, the country how, how are the how is this big working class Republican <laughs> coalition doing in Texas with their you know ten thousand dollar heating bills and uh, you know not uh, in, in opposing you know COVID relief? I, you know, it's just, the whole thing is so phony. And you know, we could just do another hour someday. I'm, I, I have this on my list of things to write about about just on on how unsturdy um, legs this kind of Republican multiracial working class coalition nonsense is. I mean, it's it's literally like the only people that actually believe that could happen are like the anti anti Trump liberals, like Glenn Greenwald, and and then there are a couple of people that are cosplaying like they want it to happen, which is Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, but they're not. They won't actually ever do anything about it. Um, you know, Hawley is was like in a classic eighties movie villain you know, yeah. role, you know, where he's the, uh, you know, he's the rich kid, um, who's, who's, uh, who's, um, you know, the bad guy in the film. I, I, I just, um, the standing ovation he received yeah. for voting to overturn the election, uh, stood on January 6th. Yeah. No, see that that's one of the few references to the coup, to the yeah. insurrection, the bloody insurrection where five, depending on how you count it, five or six people died was, was Hawley bragging about voting to overturn the election after that took place? And then he got a standing ovation for it. Here's, so at least yeah, he, he knows the base. It's crazy. And, uh, you know, he did only get 3% in the straw poll, which I guess we can talk <laughs> about. But he, um, uh, Tr- Cruz, Cruz, then I think the other thing that, that's most interesting, and this was also uh, very common throughout the speeches, Cruz, um, like, basically does a bad like stand-up routine i'm trying to think of like who the conservative stand-up comedians are i don't i don't i don't watch them but so i like a bad version of whoever that must be um he he doesn't talk at all like about policies right or thing i mean cruz originally ran as the like serious constitutional lawyer guy who is going to out debate the left right and and he and he did like his whole shtick is about how the left hates comedy now and like he was, it was all Star Wars and Star Trek references, and then he you know, he talks about how Jerry Seinfeld can't make jokes anymore, and you know he tries to do a joke that wasn't that funny, and he does the William Wallace voice. I mean, literally, this whole the whole speech is about how like the left oh, isn't shit. funny now, and how people that make anti PC jokes on the right are getting canceled. I mean, it's it's like a Dennis, it's a bad Dennis Miller from is what it is. Um, I just no, that's good. Yeah, it's 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 bad. Well, no, that's Dennis Miller actually can be funny though. Have you seen Dennis Miller lately? No, not I would, good. I would recommend you. I'd recommend you pull up a recent Dennis Miller YouTube. <laughs> he he had his glory days. Don't get me wrong. I laughed. Um, you know, back in the nineties. But uh, but no, his recent shtick is pretty is pretty stale. So, 
so this is this is the thing. This is the thing about Ted Cruz. We've talked about this before. That he always gets the the you know pop culture references wrong, which is weird. You know, it's just it's it's he's always one off there. So I, I, a couple of things. I mean, he's trying to make a joke about being Cancun. You know, hey, it's great being here in Orlando. Orlando is wonderful. Not as nice as Cancun. Too soon, man. Really, there's people dying back in your home state while you were in Cancun. Worst moment of your political life. You can't just laugh off. But, yeah, but really can I quick on that? Like, well, wait, wait. I mean, what I, what I thought was amazing was he's giving that speech the day that President Biden is in his home state of Texas looking at the disaster. And so the week after he leaves Texas to go to Cancun, he leaves Texas to go to Orlando. I mean, oh, my God. I know, crazy. And Matt, I just thought the contrast was was interesting. Matt Gates, who, you know, I think has learned the lessons of Trumpism more than some of these other guys about what the what the crowd wants. Now he's horrific at delivering, um, but the substance he's got right. Um, he like alpha Ted during his remarks. He went up and like defended Ted whole hog and like and attacked the media for being obsessed with Ted, who's just going to Cancun with his family. And I thought I thought that that was really kind of a, an intriguing, subtle elbow at Ted for like being apologetic and not not just you know giving the double middle finger to the media. So that I mean, it, it's it's a good insight into where the mindset of the you know most warped deranged maga mind yeah. is, is that is that like the Who's mistake from ted part? yeah the yeah. mistake for ted was not you know not caring about the people freezing to death in the state but but for um having to pretend like he cares that he was, was in, in, insufficiently shameless yeah exactly right. so yeah I, by the way did we ever figure out what happened to marco rubio he was supposed to speak on saturday morning there and he was on the schedule at 8 30 in the morning and then he just did, it wasn't there and he had some lame video. Uh, I, mean, I didn't. I didn't see what the news was on that. Uh, I, my Marco take that I was intrigued by is that he finished at one yeah. percent in in the straw poll, even without Trump. So even in the Trumpless straw poll in his home in, state in Florida, he finished, yeah, he finished at one percent. I mean, this is you know, Jeb. We were we were not very popular at, at CPAC, as you might imagine. You know, we got eight percent in 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 2015. Now. In fairness, clap. we bust in a couple people. Yeah, please clap for us. That was a really <laughs> robust eight percent. Uh, we did bust in a couple people, you know, with our with our cash. But um, even still, you know, he's below. I, I just think that's an important kind of barometer because uh, obviously we we failed miserably, um, and so uh, to to be that far below our failing rate, uh, I just it's crazy. Like that he has he's completely given himself and prostrated himself in front of the orange idol for nothing for nothing i mean he's a he you know he has maybe he less has, than nothing yeah yeah because it, he's it gonna he's gonna crazy. get humiliated so for example i was just dragging him on twitter before we started this uh, podcast he tweeted out this morning something from daniel nine you know but to the lord our god belong compassion and forgiveness though we rebelled against him and of course, I subtweeted him and said, uh, "Now do the bit about worshiping golden idols." <laughs> I mean, it was—it's too easy. Too easy. It's just too easy. The, the whole golden idol, golden calf thing. You know, but again, these guys never read a freaking book. Yeah. I mean, if they read a book or watched the movie, they'd know how that ended, right? 
Uh, this was trump during trump's speech uh he's talking about this atlantic article that molly ball had or no sorry time magazine article that molly ball had written about um you know what the democrats did for election protection to prepare for what was inevitable the the trump trying to steal the election and trump just kept saying up there just read the article just go to time and read the article and i just i was thinking to myself i was like a trump hasn't read the article he just somebody told him that it was bad because if he actually read the article he'd realize it was wasn't really anything scandalous and two nobody in this room is going to time.com to read molly ball's long read on election integrity and trump knows that they're not going to read it he knows that he didn't read it it's all just it's like those fake libraries that the influencers bought to go um for to, to put behind their zoom videos did you see that story that's all yeah, it's like no that in the mega form Um, but, uh, but yeah, look on the, as far as this, on the, this kind of results in, in how much it was a Trump, um, you know, coronation, I did get some pushback, um, from people who saw, who felt like that because he only got 55% in the CPAC straw poll, that that was maybe a sign of weakness. And I, and I just, I just want to tell any listeners who saw that and were looking for hope do not feel hope about the Republican party based on that or, or about Trump's softness um, with the base. Uh, I mean, for starters, he, he, he didn't get 50% in most of the primaries last time when he won. So, you know, getting to 50 is not necessary. Um, uh, So he's, he's still gained in share from last time. Well, the last CPAC, He only got 15%. Ted Cruz won the last CPAC. This is part about understanding, you know, my weekend newsletter, understanding the, you know, what is happening with CPAC and who attends. And, and, and it might seem like it's crazy people, but it's like the crazy ideologues instead of kind of the uh, more, you know, uh, uh, just cultural grievance crowd that Trump appeals to. Uh, and and I also just have to say, Joe, it's it's DeSantis. You know, DeSantis was was stuff in the ballot box a little bit in his home state. You know, he wanted this bump. He gets up to twenty one percent. Sixty eight percent said they wanted to run again. Okay, I read that as a number. Who say? See, see. Okay, let, let come. Let us disagree mildly here. Okay. Okay. Uh, please, okay so please. so there were there were two, 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 two numbers. No, 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 we'll make you feel good. I'm just. Uh, it's the fifty-five percent and who voted for him, and then there's sixty-eight percent of the attendees wanted him to run again. Now that's interesting. I mean, this is the heart of MAGAverse. I mean, this these are these are people who you know have have had have had Trump stuff way more than four hours in the time. I mean, so he, the same group. This is ninety-seven percent of these folks approve of Trump. I mean, these are People's Republic of Bulgaria election numbers. So I mean, ninety-seven percent, and yet only sixty-eight percent. Want him to run again, which would suggest that even in the heart, I mean, just the raw beating red meat heart of Trump land, there are some people going, hey, we love you. We love you. But can we just move on? Can we just do something different? The 68 percent one was more eyebrow raising for me if I had eyebrows. I would have raised them. Charlie, that's two thirds of the conference. I mean, yeah, he, that's I know. 60, that's sixty-seven points ahead of Marco. <laughs> like, this is ninety-seven. This is ninety-seven percent of these people love Trump. They love him, but yeah, only sixty-eight percent wanted him to run again. 
Yeah, I boy, I don't know. I just think that you're in your you're in um Orlando. You know, there are gonna be a lot of Republican Florida DeSantis operative types who are trying to, you know, who want to push the move. There are three Republicans from Florida who want to run for president themselves. I mean, this is not a scientific survey. I don't I, yeah, like, but this I, I is like the convention think, okay, of if George H. W. Bush had gone to the nineteen ninety three CPAC, he would have got like four percent okay, wanted that's him true. to that, run again. That, well, that that may be true, but this is like a convention of cannibals and finding out that twenty percent um want a vegetarian or meal vegan. for dinner or something. <laughs> yeah, vegan. I mean it's like we're a vegan there's a vegan convention and twenty percent want burgers for lunch. I mean, okay, something's wrong here. There's there's a little bit of dissonance here. That that's I, that's my I take. guess. I, I guess if you want to squint at that and see some dissonance, yep. um, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you. But I, uh, I don't. I'm not getting my hopes up yet. I'm gonna have to see some more data. So okay. So the speech really kind of was divided into. We can break it down in different ways. The the very very low energy stuff that he was reading off the teleprompter, which was obviously written by Stephen Miller or somebody who writes as badly as Stephen Miller. And clearly that was not getting the crowd going. So Trump, who's pretty well attuned to the tra- figures, I got to pull out the other stuff. I got to I got to play the transgender card. I got to rip the critics. I got to I have to read my enemies list out loud, which, you know, reading off the names of all of the people who needed to be killed. I mean, Richard Nixon also had an enemies list, but he never actually read it out loud in public. And so Trump's done one. Um, and um so there, there was the the much more red meat. Uh, did you see Nikki Haley, by the way, uh, who's having a hard time choosing her lane? Oh my gosh, Charlie! I okay. mean, what are you doing? And yeah, so she tweeted out, "Great speech, Mr. President. It was so substantive." Scott, my old friend Scott Walker, all in all, a very strong speech. If, of course, you leave aside the chronic lying, the bitterness, the grievance, the vengeance, all of that, yeah, all in all, a strong speech. It, well, and the whole the last twenty minutes of it is, I mean, as as awful as some of the immigration and transgender stuff was, uh, it's kind of standard fair conservative yeah. awfulness. The last twenty minutes of it is just wheels off election fraud and 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 kill list. Yeah. You know, I mean, like he he is talking about the the rigged how it was rigged millions of votes how they have to change it he wants to change all the rules so people can only vote you know on election day going forward i mean even though he you know he wins florida in a state that has very lax you know uh, early voting requirements the numbers were counted you know he's touching all of the you know the late night dumps and you know all of this nonsense that that was that was the underpinning of the insurrection uh, then he lists you know like you said all all 17 of the Republicans that voted to impeach him. It's like wild, rabid cheers. He talks about being vicious, how the Democrats are more vicious and how Republicans need to be more vicious in attacking their Democrats. I mean, the last 20 minutes was like a, a just kind of a low energy version of those Georgia rallies that came right before the Capitol was sieged. Yeah. I mean, it was the same stuff. You know, he said he's going to have to beat him a third time. Be tough. Well, I just, yeah, I, I mean, and then to to what, like, you know, all of these people, the worst of the worst, in my opinion, you know, and the people that I, I just, I, I'm never gonna be able to get over, uh, like the guy I wrote about last week, Chip Roy, the Nikki Haley's, 
the Marcos, the people who are who who go to who went around the Mitches after the after um, the impeachment and were like, well, my disagreement with the impeachment was on the merits of how the Democrats wrote the bill and the January exception and the blah, 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 blah. And, and 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 but but I but still. What he did was unacceptable, and and you know it can't you know you know we can't um, you know continue down this path. You know Rob Portman said he used the word unacceptable eight times. What more do you want from me? But to say unacceptable, well, how about one person saying it's unacceptable for him to continue doing it? One person, none of them, not 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 Portman, not McConnell, not Rubio, not Chip Roy came out after Trump's speech and said. Uh, we can't we can't continue down this this path of lies this this panoply of lies and then nikki haley goes out and says great work heck of a job keeping up the big lie i what is the plan here and this this to me goes back to the bill article at the top yeah the charlie is like about how you have to work with biden I, I mean the people that criticize bill you know, at the National Review and Jonah and the others has and 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 then also the politicians, you know, who are mad about articles that the Roy's and the Haley's and the Marcos. Has any of them presented a plan for stopping this? I mean, as best as I can tell, the only plan for stopping, you know, the Republican Party's complete descent into anti-democratic conspiracy is praying that a judge puts Donald Trump in jail or that the hamburgers catch up with him. That's no, it. that's it. That's that is the plan. That is that, that, that somehow it will magically go away. That somebody else will take care of this. Of course, that just doesn't happen. And this is the problem for the Republicans, because now that they are Trump's party, they they are held hostage by the this lie. They have to agree to this lie. They have to go along with this lie. They cannot challenge this lie. If they do challenge this lie, they're going to be Mike Pence. Who, by the way, is you know in complete oblivion here, uh, and and so one you know, percent he was tied with Marco at one percent. So this is why I think that Bill's piece is so important because I was I'm, I'm trying to think what was the moment when when something hit me. It was listening when I walk the dogs. I listen to Sirius XM radio, and I, I there was the um, some of the testimony from the acting Capitol Police chief who's talking about the plans of some of these militia groups to blow up the Capitol and kill multiple congressmen around the time of the State of the Union address. And then there was a report about all of the states that are using the big lie as a justification to uh, roll back voting rights in one state after another. And I realized, you know, the the attack on the Capitol took place on January 6th. But what happened there is really ongoing. It, It didn't just happen and stop. And the fact that we're not willing to confront it and um, the Republicans are not willing to tell the truth about it. In fact, that they're still acting on the same lie would suggest that that a- assault on democracy was not a one time event on one day. It is an ongoing process. And therefore, when you're figuring out what do you do in, in American politics, I-, I do think it's legitimate to say the number one challenge facing this country is to uphold constitutional democratic norms and values uh, to make sure that this does, does not happen. And at that point, you ask yourself, OK, so what what is the priority? Is it our is it your party or is it the country? Is it, you know, uh, whatever your quote unquote conservative conscience tells you or what is actually happening in the world? And this is where I think Bill's point is, you know, quoting Margaret Thatcher, 
you know, be grounded in the facts of life. This is the reality right now. The fate of America is not going to be decided by the debate between a $12 an hour minimum wage and a $15 minimum wage or a 36% uh, top tax rate versus a 38% tax ta- uh, top tax rate. It's going to be decided on these questions of, you know, are we a democracy? Are we a constitutional republic? Or are we going to see another attack um, on our elections? And at that point, you go, hey, you know what? Maybe we ought to rethink some of the alliances and who we trust and who we don't trust and who we're willing to make temporary alliances with. Yeah, and, and just uh, like to that, to, to what the facts of life are, to what the actual truth is about our situation, the the the, the Republicans, the conservative movement had a, had an opportunity six weeks ago to actually fight for the principles that they have claimed to uphold for you know the last hundred years, or even through back through you know the conservative revival with Buckley, etc. They had they had this opportunity in the wake of this tragedy, in the wake of this horror on January sixth. There was a moment where they could have you know fought for it clearly and put us and said this is unacceptable and put a stake in you know the corrupting corrupting of of what they claimed their principles were by Donald Trump. And many of them in in that 24 hours after said that they were going to, and and none of them have. And and so how can you not look at the facts on the field and realize that this is not, uh, this is not a fight that's right now a, that, that can be won within the conservative movement? Maybe it can in 10 years. I don't know. You know, who knows how the, the, the changes in the tectonic plates of our politics, you know, and what happens in the future, you know, maybe there a younger uh, movement can arise though. You know, the young conservatives at, at CPAC were like quasi fascists or not really quasi actually just straight fascists. So I don't have a lot of hope for that, but um, I, you know, th- there, there was an opportunity over the last six weeks for, for the people who, who say, no bill, you are wrong. You know, working with the Democrats is not the best path forward. The Democratic Party is terrible, blah, socialism, blah, blah, blah. We have to do this within our own house. They had an opportunity. They had they were given this opportunity, this crisis to fight within their own house. And and, and instead it's, oh, uh, you know, we're just going to stay on the sidelines and stay detached and, and, you know, continue to call balls and strikes and continue to let Donald Trump run roughshod over the party. And 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 hope for the best, you know, because it's just this one guy that's a problem. I mean, like it's an ins- it is it's a completely detached from reality observation of of the facts in front of us. And and I think that was just really clear down at CPAC um, uh, because it, CPAC, I, I don't think anyone argues anymore, as you said at the very front, is not the Star Wars bar. It is the party that was a reflection of what the party is. Uh, and, and, and there is no dissent. Now I understand the people who have a visceral reaction against working with, with Democrats. In fact, I, I remember when, uh, there were a lot of, uh, Democrats who became neoconservatives back in the 1970s. And many of them had a very, very hard time ever thinking of themselves as, as Republicans, because I, I, I think there's, you know, it's, it's ingrained, it's, it's hard to do. So there is going to be resistance. But I do think it is this particular moment we're in right now. And can I just read a little bit of what he's saying here? He said, you know, the debate, he said, for me, at least the proper debate about the future of conservatism and and should you work across party lines, 
The proper debate should be about the country and the preservation of the democratic order. And the most important question is, what is now achievable and beneficial for America in the moment we actually live in? Well, I adhere to conservative principles, so I can't take this step is an understandable reaction to my suggestion. But I'd say it's not really a conservative reaction. A conservative considers the real-world consequences of his or her principles. A conservative considers how adherence to or deviation from certain principles would help or hurt the goals conservatism seeks to achieve, because it is these goals, liberty, justice, good government, democracy, stability, and so on, that matter, not the ism. Conservatism is a means to those goals, not an end in of itself. This is an important point. And I, I think what happens when people get too deep into ideology, they forget what is the end yeah, and, and begin to confuse the ends with the means. So that therefore, there, this one principle, they adhere to it no matter what the real world consequences are. And then he quotes Margaret Thatcher saying the facts of life are conservative. She wasn't adding the facts of life to a list of arguments for conservatism. She was saying she was conservative because the facts of life are what they are. And one of those facts, I'm reading from Bill Crystal's piece, one of those facts of life is that a dangerous anti-democratic faction, which pretty clearly constitutes a majority of the nation's conservative party, is not committed in any serious way to the truth, the rule of law, or the basic foundations of our liberal democracy. At bottom, I think we need to spend more time thinking through the challenges facing our democratic order today and less time gazing into the navel of American conservatism. That's well put. Yeah, I, mean, I don't. What more do you have to say than that? I, I just, I just I think that he's exactly right. And, and, you know, as I said last week on the podcast, he has lived up to that right and, and i think that is the other key point here is that you know you can i i think another disconnect between between bill and and some of those on the right who have done the navel gazing and who sat on the sidelines um, throughout all of this and you know said they were never trump but didn't didn't weren't ever willing to, to work with the democrats is an assessment of the threat risk Right. And, you know, I, I think that if you assess, which I do, and I think you do, that, that Donald Trump was a Democrat, was was a fundamental threat to to the to, you know, our democratic traditions, to, to the country's democratic survival, I, then then how can you just say, well, you know, I, I, I'm going to set this one out because the Democrats, I disagree with them on on right, you know, late term abortion. I disagree with them on late term abortion, too. But like, you know, uh, I mean, it, the, the question is an assessment of 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 that anti-democratic majority in, in one party, as, as Bill laid out. I think if you see that clearly, there's only one way to land on this. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, you become a lockstep partisan hack on the other side or whatever. Um, but uh, but it does mean recognizing the reality of what is happening in the in the country's conservative party. Well, and I think this is also what we've discussed in the past, you know, the, the difference between the the horizontal axis of left versus right and the vertical access of truth, uh, decency, democratic norms. Um, I don't need to move to the left to say I'm willing to work with people who are not of my political party if, in fact, we think that preserving those norms, truth, rule of law, democratic norms, constitutional order, are, in fact, important. And the fa and it's also not just that the Donald Trump poses an existential challenge because uh, this is no longer one guy. This is, the, this is again, one of the shocks to me um, because I remember back in, in 2016, there was Donald Trump, 
but there wasn't a lot of Trumpis, Trumpism or Trumpists right. out there. Now what's obvious is that, is that uh, large segments of the Republican Party, probably a majority, have internalized these anti-democratic uh, norms. And uh, so that even if Donald Trump is taken off by by his, you know, Diet Cokes and uh, and, and yeah. burgers, um, you do have this anti-democratic authoritarian strain. And whether it's going to be, a, you know, Ted Cruz or a Hawley or a DeSantis or a Christy Nome, um, that's still going to be that's still going to be a, an ongoing threat. If you're willing to acknowledge that not all of our differences are on this left or right continuum. Yeah, and at CPAC, it wasn't just that they'd adopted some of these anti-democratic norms. It's the central policy, organizing yeah. policy principle of the party right now. I mean, every every speech that I watched had somebody talking about the re- voting, the reforms that were needed to combat this fraud that they've hallucinated. That's what everybody talked about, how you need to make it harder to vote, you know, more stringent rules. I, I mean, you know, sure, yeah. in some places, some of these reforms, I'm sure, you know, we, we can look at the merits um, of the people who argue on different sides of various you know, uh, single issues as part of voting, voting reform. Uh, but that's not what this was, right? It yeah. was a, it was a lockstep view that, that this election was stolen. So we need to make it harder to vote. We need to make it harder to vote in, in Philly and in Detroit, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, and, and that was really besides saying big tech companies bad was, was like the only policy argument that was consistent throughout all the speeches. You know? Well, okay. Okay. Now this is like slightly shifting it, but, but yes. And, um, the other thing, and I, I wrote about this last week. I mean, you know, the right does have a white supremacy par, uh, problem, and in the past, uh, you've had leaders in the Republican Party who have been willing to address it. I'm not going to get into relitigating everything, but in my newsletter, I I, uh, I had a, another soundbite from Ronald Reagan when he spoke to the NAACP. Bob Dole said, "You know, there's no place for bigots. You know, there's there's the exit." Um, now. Um, it, 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 especially because of, of Donald Trump, you can't, you know, say what Liz Cheney said that they Republicans need to make it absolutely clear they reject white supremacy without being exiled. So we had the Paul Gosar thing over the weekend, where he goes and he speaks. This is a, this is an Arizona congressman goes and he speaks at a uh, very explicitly white nationalist convention. This Nick Fuentes, who's basically a neo-Nazi, and he speaks there. And then he comes back and speaks at CPAC, and then he goes and he meets with Fuentes afterwards. Is that right? And you you yeah. know they're gonna they're gonna do nothing about him. There's you know Paul Gosar who blew off the COVID vote because he said there was a you know health emergency goes down and speaks to literal white racists, and then goes and speaks at, at CPAC. Uh, there will be no consequences. The party that that expelled Steve King a few years ago, and not expelled him, but I mean stripped him of his committee assignments, will take no action whatsoever. Because this is a party more invested in denying the reality of racism than confronting it or coming up with a way that Republicans ought to address it. So this is part of this lack of any introspection whatsoever. And this is this is a this is a real problem because it means that they're going to continue to turn a blind eye to it as it grows in influence and power as part of a constituency for the Republican Party. Yeah, I mean, Paul Gosar's take was basically that, you know, these are young conservatives and we should be listening to them. I mean, Paul Gosar is, you know, and I've, I've got this on also on my long writing list. Um, 
you know, I, is just as crazy as MTG, by the way. And he's yeah. been there for a while now, but he, you know, he's getting, I think, more and more radicalized, but has always been crazy. Um, and, and, you know, th- there won't even be a discussion of any sort of reprimand of having somebody that spoke to an explicitly white nationalist organization um, in the caucus, you know, r- after, after this, you know, Sturm and Drog, you know, over, over Liz Cheney. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, there, what, what, what is acceptable and what is it not acceptable is very clear. And, and some people can try to talk around it or shade it or whatever, but, but uh, you know, good hanging out, palling around with white, white supremacists is fine in the caucus um, saying something mean about Donald Trump is not. And, you know, if you do that, you get Chip Roy and his, and his little mini Chip Roy's holding a press conference outside the Capitol finger wagging you. Um, you know, Paul Gosar gets, gets silence. You know, what's interesting, you, you point out, as long as you say something nice about Donald Trump, you have a complete get out of jail uh, pass ideologically. I was wondering uh, if you actually went to uh, went to see back and asked uh, some of these participants, when you talk about socialism and the radical socialist agenda, can you define socialism and what exactly it is that, that the Democrats are doing that you describe as socialism that would not apply to, say, some of the things that Trump was doing or the Republicans were doing? Because, you know, sending out massive amounts of money to farmers, for example, that wouldn't be socialism if Trump, Trump does it. But it is going to be, you know, sending out money is going to be socialism if, if, if Biden does it. But you'll also notice that Josh Hawley is proving that as long as you suck up to Trump, you can take any left wing position and you'll still be considered a quote unquote conservative in good standing. But if you criticize Trump, then anything you do that deviates from conservative orthodoxy is a sign that you've become a squish rhino sellout, etc. Yeah. Holly talked about it wasn't just big tech. In Holly's speech, he talks about breaking up multinational corporations. He doesn't say yeah. which ones it is. But you know, I mean so Josh Holly wants the government to be in charge of determining what can be posted on the internet. And he wants to break up, you know, the companies that have, you know, been uh, the engines of a lot of the economic growth in this country. And then he wants to break up another unnamed sector worth of multinational corporations. And, and you know, that's not socialism. Look, it, it's, it's cultural signaling, you know, I think. And yeah. I think that's why it's being replaced kind of by China, right? Like being tough on China. I and mean, that was the other thing that is China. that you see in all these speeches. It's it's tough on immigrants, tough on China tough on big tech and, you know, make it harder to vote. Right. Like those, like, again, there's not a lot of that's pretty much it right there. behind it, yeah. but like, that's it. That's what you're getting. And, and so, you know, and not, again, not to do the nostalgia because there's plenty of bad stuff about Reagan, but as part of my, you know, again, making sure that I, I was not the crazy one. Um, I, I went back and watched Reagan's 86 CPAC speech, um, which has some crazy stuff in it. Like he, uh, he shouts out kind of a, a revanchist Somalian, uh, or no, excuse me, Angolan uh, mm-hmm. war, you know, um, because because he was on the Stone Manafort payroll. So as much as things change, uh, you know, they as they they still seem to stay the same in some elements. But but the vast majority of the speech was really just the three legged stool policy. You know, it's like you know, uh, um, social po- policy, uh, uh, abortion, prayer in schools, and economic policy. You know, cutting regulations and spending and taxes and fighting the Soviets. I mean, that's like the whole the whole speech. Um, and and so you know, we can agree and disagree on some of the merits of 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 those various you know issue points. But like the contrast between that and just this like guttural scream 
uh, is so stark. And I think it's like the answer to your question, like, like what they think about what socialism is on a policy you know, for a policy matter, like doesn't matter. It isn't yeah, that. Right, it's just right. this like it's a word bad, other guys bad, Chinese bad, immigrants bad, rich people on the coast bad, me good. Like yeah. I, if, Tran- my, if transgender <laughs> athletes, yeah. yeah, transgender athletes bad. If so, if we get money, if we get bailouts, that's good. That's not socialism. If they get money, if they get bailouts, that's bad. That is socialism. I, I, it's really, it's like, I, I wish it was you know, more complex than that. And we could have, you know, arguments about it, but that, that is all it is. No, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Tim Miller, thanks for coming on the podcast and devoting so much of, and, and basically setting on fire your, your weekend to watch so much of CPAC for us. Hey, anything for you, Charlie. You won't get those days back though. I'm telling you, they're gone. Tim, it's just, <laughs> just flushed down the MAGA sewer. Uh, and thank you all for listening to today's uh, Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow. I hope I will be back tomorrow. And we'll do this all over again.